Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Palmer Bear on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Maureen, everybody, good morning and welcome to uh, Ian Smith between 9 and 12 this morning and uh, every weekday morning. It is uh, 9.03 here on SENZ. Busy show, really busy Monday for you. First up, we're going to be talking to the New Zealand Rugby Players Association boss, Rob Nicholl. Just what is going on with the possibility of the rugby championship and the All Blacks movements in the near future. Uh, just after 9.30, Mike Hessen. Uh, Mike Hessen's got an interesting new appointment. Uh, not only now is he the uh, general manager of operations at the Royal Challengers Bangalore uh, for the upcoming restart of the IPL, he's now the head coach as well. How did that come about? Uh, a panel around about to 20 past 10 this morning. We've also got um, an, an interview with Paul Cole's mum. How good is that? Paul Cole's mum is coming uh, onto the show uh, this morning uh, around about uh, 5 past 10. They must be hugely happy and proud in that household. What kind of sacrifices had he, has he had to make? and the have they had to make along this wonderful journey. Uh, Andrew Voss, uh, just after 11 o'clock with our update on the NRL, and Cody Everson, uh, of course, who will be very shortly participating in the Paralympics. Very, very busy morning. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy Sermon. Well, sometimes I have to confess, putting together a sermon is tougher than it may seem. My sympathies go out to Billy Graham, Monday's the best though, the weekend can provide a number of subjects should the All Blacks have gone to Perth, and will they? Where will the guts of the rugby championship be played? Uh, can we finally say that's it for 2021 for the Brave Warriors, now that it's pretty much mathematically impossible? But this Monday is easy, because early this morning I was given a gift. A gift from the coast. A gift named Paul Cole. You see, while most of us were enjoying a lockdown nap, Paul Cole was winning the British Open Squash Championship, one of the real prize jewels in a very tough sport. And he is the first Kiwi to ever do it. Uh, not since Ross Norman in 1986 had we had a finalist during that era, dominated by Pakistan in the men's division. Now it's an Egyptian dynasty. Men from there dominate the world rankings, except for a lad from Greymouth sandwiched in there at number three. Squash is a damn tough sport, a hell of a way to make a living, but Coasties, well, they are as tough as it gets. Paul's Uncle Tony was a raw-boned, hard-as-nails Kiwi second rower. So how prestigious is a British Open title? Asks Dame Susan DeVoy and Leilani, Leilani Joyce. Dame Susan, she's a string of them. Ask her about Paul Cole too. She'll be mighty proud this morning. For Paul Cole, it's been a really soul-searching, lonely crusade with just the smallest of pit crews. In his celebratory speech, he thanked New Zealand 
They're getting up at an early hour to watch them. We'll never know how many of you did that. But if you did, you saw something very, very special. If you didn't, you missed the treat. So in this Olympic year full of medals and black caps, add Paul Cole to the Halberg puzzle. For his is a superb and historical achievement, and it cannot, cannot go unrecognised. here on SENZ. My pleasure to uh, welcome uh, to the show first up this week, uh, Rob Nicol, uh, New Zealand Players Association CEO. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, Smithy. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I was just thinking squash is a bit of an endurance sport, but you're an endurance man as well. What do you got going at the moment in terms of your endurance activities? Yeah, well, I mean, we live in the country, we're fortunate like that, so um, jumping over the fence and doing a bit of tramping in the afternoons during lockdown, uh, staying within my bubble, but uh, quite fortunate in that respect, and then, yeah, I'm not sure, we might look at the coast to coast again next year with my son, actually, should be something pretty cool to do, wouldn't it, if we can, we can pull well, that one hell, off, that, and then probably another That would be a hell of a, hell, hell of a cool thing to yeah. do, Rob, to do it with uh, your son, I know you've done it in the past, um, so that would be special, uh, but in the meantime, of course... <clears throat> While you're thinking about that, you've got plenty on your plate. Uh, and, of course, uh, the All Blacks uh, decided not to go to Perth uh, on Saturday, um, at this stage anyway. And, uh, of course, you'd have been part of that decision. You'll have consulted with the players, etc., with New Zealand rugby. Uh, in your mind, totally the right decision? Yeah, it was. And it, it wasn't. It was almost a decision actually taken out of the hands. You know, we started the week... Uh, with New South Wales, we're going to host Argentina and South Africa and quarantine them for two weeks, and they could train and come out and be ready to go for rugby championship. And Western Australia, we're going to host rugby championship, and the All Blacks were going to fly out, as you said, Smithy, on Saturday, um, play that test this weekend, and then join up with South Africa and Australia, but uh, South Africa and Argentina. But a couple of things happened. Firstly, New South Wales said no. Uh, we're no longer prepared to quarantine Argentina and South Africa. Then Western Australia said we're not prepared to host rugby championship. And so by Wednesday, we actually couldn't confirm that we were even able to hold rugby championship in Australia. And one of the challenges that presents us from a New Zealand perspective is if we would flown across to play this game, uh, we may well have been able to do that. Um, although there were some complications around vaccine and timings, but we might have been able to do that. But we may then have been stuck there for several weeks, unable to return to New Zealand. Um, Argentina and South Africa unable to get into the country, unable to play rugby championship, and then um, unable to return to New Zealand because we've got no MIQ spots until November the 23rd. So that wasn't something you know, we all thought was sensible. Um, and so what, what, what we said, and Argentina and South Africa did the same thing, is look, by Friday lunchtime, if we can't confirm that Queensland can host rugby championship and quarantine and let them train Argentina and South Africa, then we're going to have to push everything out a week, um, which is pretty much what happened. And everyone everyone knew that. Um, I know New Zealand Rugby shared that release with Australia. Though, to be fair, they didn't want the release to go out because they hadn't kept their stakeholders informed throughout. But the challenge we had, Smithy, is we had 65 people about to jump on a plane and they needed to be told and their families needed to be told. And as soon as they're told, everyone finds out. So... New Zealand Rugby, I think, made the call to, to put the release out. Probably the explanation 
and communication of exactly the circumstances wasn't clear enough for everyone is, is my pick on, on how things have rolled out. And the war of words is really disappointing for everyone. The players hate seeing that kind of stuff. But the reality is that it kind of was just a decision that was taken out of everyone's hand. I mean, South Africa and Argentina cancelled their charter flight. They, they, they're still in South Africa now. Rob, so there's got to be a meeting very shortly. In fact, uh, I, I, I kind of uh, heard through the grapevine, it might even be today, uh, to try and yeah. lock in a rugby sh- championship schedule. How easy is that going to be? And what, what do you think now are the possible options? Yeah, well, we're so lucky in that respect. Um, like, we really feel for the Aussie boys <laughs> and the Aussie team. They're sitting in Perth wanting to play football. They've been away from the families for a long time as well. But, you know, we are lucky. Um, so the, the probably, I think at this stage, the number one option would be Queensland. So Queensland today really have to confirm whether they can host rugby championship and um, quarantine South Africa and Argentina and allow them to train during that period. Um, into Australia. And if that happens, then the All Blacks will be on a plane on Friday. They'll play the test in Perth on probably the 3rd of September. And then Australia and New Zealand will fly to uh, Queensland, meet up with Argentina and South Africa and play the tournament there. So that's probably the number one option, I think, from most people's perspective. Um, But we have to find out today for a couple of reasons. One is um, they need the charter plane to fly from Australia to South Africa to pick up the teams and bring them back. And they need to be back by Friday to allow those two teams to quarantine for two weeks and be ready to play rugby championship um, because we can't delay it any further because the Regulation 9 release window closes and all the players are going to go back to their clubs on the 3rd of October. So that's why we need confirmation one way or the other from Queensland today whether they're able to do this. Um, and that confirmation isn't there at this stage. But it's not just staging the tournament. It's really important. You know, those, those two teams need to be able to be picked up in Africa and brought back in quarantine and train, most importantly, at the same time. So, so that's the question, Mark. But if that doesn't work out, then there's two options. One is UK and Europe, and that's actually, from what I understand, is, is incredibly feasible and probably the number two. And then the fallback option, uh, and it's number two because it gets crowds and because they're, let's say, they've, they've had a lot of rugby, a lot of tournaments, a lot of sports events up there. There's a lot of ground availability, and there's actually a reasonable amount of interest. And then the third option would be South Africa, who have just obviously hosted the, the Lions. So, you know, um, we're not complaining, mate. You, you, you gave your introduction around a guy like Paul Cole. Just imagine what his last 18 months have been like. So we're not going to complain. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the players are ready. They'll wind their sleeves up and get into it. They'll be away from home for 14, 14 weeks, more than likely, 14, 15 weeks. But they've known about that for a few weeks now and plan for it. Yeah. So at this stage, Rob... Uh you know, you, the, the game in America is still on, it's the one in Washington, so that's, that's still a pathway towards the UK regardless? Yeah, from what I understand, you, you know, if you, if you leave New Zealand, go over, uh, play Perth, and then go to Queensland, play rugby championship, we'd probably then have a couple of weeks in Queensland, and then the option would be to fly to the States and play that game, and then on to the UK for the end of year tour. Um, so that, that sort of maps out pretty good. There's still some travel stuff between the United States and the UK. Uh, I, I'm not sure it's straightforward flying that direction, um, but hopefully that can be worked out. And then uh, the fallback options for the rugby championship ends up being in the UK or South Africa. Obviously the, the team and management and New Zealand rugby will look and say, well, how feasible is it to fly from the UK back to America for that game and then back to the UK? Um, but that, you know, 
I know it sounds a bit perverse, but that's probably um, a good dilemma to have because it means we've got a rugby championship up and running. Worst case scenario is we can't get rugby championship up and running, in which case logic would suggest New Zealand should stay here. The guys would play NPC and then go and play Australia in that third Blazo Cup test at some stage in October before going on up to America and then on to the UK at the end of the year. But let, let's hope we get rugby championship up and off the ground. It does look, I reckon it's pretty likely that we will either in Queensland or, or the UK Europe. Uh, Rob, for the hard-nosed, and there are still plenty of <clears throat> the old wizened guys out there. Um, you know, I used to be one of them myself until uh, I woke up. But uh, there, um, you know, your your business is the players. Your business is the players' welfare, etc. Um, your board is made up of a number of players. How closely do you contact your players when you're going through this kind of process? Yeah, no, it's it's a, a good question. It, it, it's not a and I mean, you've been in the space, but it's not, it's not the sort of thing that suddenly springs on people. Like, we're in constant dialogue. So if I think about this particular issue, um, the sun, you know, we've always known it was coming up. And the Sunday after the first bit of the cup test, um, spoke with team management. And on that Sunday night, uh, they got all the team in the room with management as well and said, listen, this is the scenario we potentially face. And, um, and it was about putting it all on the table and being honest, and Ian Foster was, was very, very good at that. Uh, not overcomplicating it, but finding out what all the questions are. And we've got some, as you mentioned, a number of our board members, um, Sam Whitelock, Sam Kane, Aaron Smith, um, Dane Coles, Paddy Tupelodo, uh, who are in that team. And you know, so they're on the ground in the room. Um, we've got a big list of questions for ourselves and the NZAU to focus on, uh, which is really useful. And then obviously, you know, chatting to the players, not not over the top because they're busy trying to prepare for the second blues though, but just connecting in, in directly, particularly with Sam Whitelock and Sam Kane, um, and Sammy Kane's obviously got an injured injury at the moment so he's been able to, not just on this issue, but he's actually been helping us out on quite a few things at the moment um, while he's not playing, so stay in touch with them, clear things by Tuesday night so they can get on and focus on the game and then work closely with New Zealand Rugby um, we then met with um, team management, I think, Wednesday afternoon before that second Bledisloe, um, just their, their mini-group, and sort of brainstormed and answered the questions and thought about our options, and then on the Sunday after the test, the second Bledisloe, um, Mark Robinson and I attended a meeting with the players and, and all the partners and family that were there, and the management, and we talked it all through. So so it's pretty close. It's um, pretty engaged, but but like it, you know, prefer to do it with management and with New Zealand rugby and, and players all together. We're all, all part of it. And um, and then because everyone's up to speed and aware of the issues, it's actually quite short and efficient, the conversations around the options, because everyone knows what we're talking about. Uh, we're with Rob Nicholl, folks, uh, the boss of the New Zealand Rugby Players Association. Busy time for them now, decision-making time, of course. Uh, and that might come later today, it might not. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. A relationship with the Aussies, Dave Rennie came out, said uh, a couple of things, the Wallaby players... Uh, apparently, uh, uh, as a group, weren't that happy, but the relationship pretty good there. Oh, I mean, you, you know, we don't, from a player's perspective, you don't like to see the way things are panning out, and I, you know, the the war of words that sort of erupts, and and you know, I I think, you know, personally, I sort of know exactly the way thing, everything panned out, and I, and I think the Australians were on the wrong side of the ledger this time in terms of the way they came out and reacted. Um, I noticed there's a bit of backtracking going on now and that their issue was more around how it's communicated to the public but they saw a copy of the release they knew and they understood that 
um, well, it was explained to them that you know once you've let 65 people on and their families know, you've kind of got to let the country know that you're not hosting Argentina or the Springboks and this is what's happening. So could they have done all done that better? I think so. Um, but I still don't think that justified what we saw. It's just not good for the game. And from a player's perspective, we don't like to see it. You know, I know some of our guys, in particular Sam, was, was in touch with the Australians. We feel for them. I mean, they've, a lot of them have been on the road for a long time. Um, they were looking forward to this test match in Perth. It's a sellout. It's a really big deal over there. They're sitting there waiting for us, and they suddenly get told the All Blacks aren't getting on a plane, and they get the Australian Rugby Australia's narrative. You can understand why they were, they were frustrated and probably angry at the time. Hopefully, on reflection, they'll see it for what it is, Smithy, and and um, and put their energies into that game itself, which which could be an absolute cracker mm. now, which will be good. Um, but yeah, yeah might look, give them. Um, might- might yeah, give them a bit of extra yeah. motivation, Rob, uh, in that respect. Yeah, I reckon. Look, it's, a, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's okay. It's pressure. Pressure, you know, these situations, it, it, it breeds pressure and different people react in different ways. And I think the key is to be able to widen your parallels and just say, hey, that is what it is. But we've actually, you know, we, we've got an obligation to move on and, and make a decision and, and keep things rolling. And I think that's the focus of most people, yeah. Just, just finally, uh Rob, away from this particular issue, there, there was uh, the discussion over uh, Silver Lake, the Forsyth Bar type scenarios. Uh, where, are, where are you uh, with that at the moment and when could uh, a decision on that kind of thing be um, evident? Yeah, look, we're, we're, um, we've got a working group that's working with New Zealand Rugby. We've, um, we've met a few, fair few times now and zeroing in on the need um, or New Zealand Rugby's need um, and talking that through talking through the concept of global private equity, uh, what that could mean to the game in New Zealand, um, the risks, the potential rewards, etc., and then looking at other options as well. And, you know, the dialogue's been good. It's been good to be able to have, you know, have that conversation around the table and, and put some real energy and, and effort into it. And we've had a lot of people helping us as well, really reputable, um, strong people who we have a huge amount of respect for, um, not just for you know, Kiwi's expat Smithy uh, reaching out who have got experience in private equity and you know, reside in the likes of Silicon Valley and stuff. So, you know, we've come a long way. It's been good dialogue, and, and that dialogue continues. And um, I'm not quite sure when the when if there is a decision to be made, that'll be New Zealand Rugby's decision. I'm not quite sure when they're going to get to that point. But from our perspective, you know, we, we certainly feel we're we're getting right up to speed and getting to the point where we can certainly sort of articulate what we're happy to support or not. And uh, that'll probably happen in the next four or five weeks, I'd imagine. Okay, Rob Nicol, uh, I know you've got a very busy day uh, ahead of you with uh, some decisions being made and uh, addressing them with your players, etc. So uh, thanks very much for your time. I uh, really value it. Uh, good luck with all the decisions coming forward. Uh, and in particular, um, the, the uh, endurance coast-to-coast uh, coast with your son. <laughs> very exciting. I've got three oh, sons, but I'm, I'm a dollar one and shortling not to do it. So there you go. No, I can assure you, your sporting pedigree and, and that of your sons as well, actually, it's uh, far exceeds any attempts I can make on endurance. I do endurance for a reason, Smithy. I just have to keep moving. I have no other talent. Good on you, boy. I can just keep moving. Good on you, Rob. (laughs) Thanks for your time, man. Thanks. Cheers. Been great. Cheers. Thank you. Rob Nickel there, folks. Uh, It's 9.21 here on SCNZ. Looks like we'll hear uh, perhaps later in the day uh, about the immediate future for our All Blacks. Uh, What about uh, you? Have you got a a feeling about that? Um, Do you have uh, some input there? 88.33 is our text number 0800 150811. It's quite a passionate subject, uh, particularly across the Tasman. Uh, What have we got to think about it here?
Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, a couple of texts have uh, come in about that subject. The tour party of 66, so that is maybe 40 players. That means 26 support staff. Wow. Well, it's just the nature of the business uh, these days. Uh, so many people involved, uh, particularly when you're heading away for such a long time. You need to have all your contingencies covered, and uh, you can bet your bottom dollar. That's exactly what New Zealand Rugby and the All Blacks will have done. Um, hi, Smithy. JD, England with the big crowds would be amazing. Uh, it was a good interview with Rob. We all learn a lot about the background of it. Uh, yeah, England would be good uh, with the expats. I think a uh, big population base of New Zealanders, Australians, South Africans, uh, are all in England, of course, particularly around the London, uh, the London area. So great chance of filling up Twickenham on a couple of occasions here. So that means income. Uh, what way do I think the Silver Lake deal will go? Uh, not quite sure, Anthony, at this point. A lot of um, dialogue obviously going on uh, with those people and uh, other people from the outside as well. So it's anyone's guess at the moment, but um, there's uh, still other issues to sort, for, sort through. And what I can say, Anthony, I don't think we can expect a decision too soon. They've got plenty of other things on their plate uh, at the moment. So uh, that's uh, pretty much uh, all we can say on, on that matter. Or I just have to wait and see later this afternoon. John... Uh, yeah, what did you take from that with the best route to, towards England and the Rugby Championship? Yeah, I know that uh, Rob said that they want to play in Queensland. They want to host the Rugby Championship in Queensland. Not far to go, and it does make sense to host a Rugby Championship in one of the countries that the four members are from, doesn't it? Uh, just seems a bit strange to have the Rugby Championship, a Southern Hemisphere competition in the Northern Hemisphere. But in saying that, I mean, Queensland have done well with covid um, will they take a risk and allow Argentina and South Africa, especially with what's going on in their countries with COVID, to come in and train straight away in Queensland? I mean, they've already got the rugby league there with the NRL. They're already taking some risks, Smithy. And when you take risks, you can get burnt. Just look at New Zealand at the moment. So if I was a betting man, um, which I'm not, my TAB account's empty, um, but I would say it'll probably go to the UK because if I'm Queensland, I'm not taking the chance of hosting the rugby championship and those countries from South Africa and Argentina. I think it's a fair bet. I, you know, I think above all of this is um, <clears throat> the decision. Of course, they've got local government issues in Australia more so than we have. Um, you know, the local governments make the big decisions backed up by the federal government, but uh, they've always been very passionate, standalone to Queensland. They've always been one of the ones that have sort of uh, not uh, just jumped in line with, it, with over whatever else is going on in Australia. They've always been very much their own entity. Um, so they might want to make a statement and say, yes, we can do this. A massive occasion, really massive occasion. And, and the Wallabies, of course, who, who have been so you know, down and dark about the fact that uh, that test match um, isn't going to go ahead or might not go ahead, and the All Blacks didn't leave town over the weekend, uh, they might be appeased somewhat, John, uh, if uh, they were able to be awarded uh, that particular part of the Rugby Championship. We'll wait and see. Uh, this afternoon we'll get much more, much more of an indication. Uh, 9.30, 9.30, and uh, news time with Trudy. Cool, Smitty. Good morning to you. Uh, look, I'm still in St. Clair in Dunedin, uh, yeah, overlooking the water, which is a, a lovely way to start the day, but... Uh, plenty ahead over the coming weeks and obviously lots of uncertainty for all of us. Okay, Hess, let's talk about uh, at the moment what looks like it's in line for you. Uh, a 20th of September resumption. And remember, folks, the IPL was uh, just 
uh, curtailed uh, due to the outbreak and the considerable outbreak and the pressure going on uh, in India itself. Uh, the decision was made to curtail at that point. And Mike, we understand resume it in the UAE. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, Smitty. So um, a lot of the squads have already started to gather. So our, our squad at RCB have, uh, have just uh, basically met up in Bangalore. They will, for seven days, they'll do internal uh, quarantine at a hotel of, uh, that we've got uh, locked away somewhere. So they'll do their seven days. Then they'll fly to Dubai and do another six days quarantine. And then we start training. So, uh, And the overseas contingent, including myself, will sort of start to arrive uh, at the end of this month and then obviously go our throughout quarantine as well. So... Uh, yeah, interesting times ahead, and, and obviously the travel situation for all of us is slightly different. Yeah, but it's not something uh, you're not familiar with, Mike. I mean, uh, you've had so many um, time, so much time in quarantine, so much time living in bubbles. Um, you, you, I mean, it's just second nature, isn't it, for for people involved around the IPL? Oh, look, I think um, you know everyone you know has has different lives, don't they? In terms of everyone earns their living different ways, and, and I guess ours is. Um, you know, obviously we have to travel overseas to, to get employment, so that obviously comes with with travel bubbles and quarantine and obviously issues around uh, getting in and out of, of the country. So uh, I'm no different than anyone else in terms of having my struggles with MIQ and the uncertainty around at the end of the tournament getting back in. But it's an exciting time. I mean, we're halfway through this IPL um, as a team. We're, you know, we're sitting quite nicely, um, you know, having started the tournament well, but uh, different conditions, slightly different squads. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting time. What is different uh, for you, Mike? You've got uh, an added role. Uh, you're the Head of Operations, Director of Operations at Royal Challenger Bangalore, which uh, involves overseeing everything, really, and making sure it all comes together so the players can walk out across the white line uh, in a happy mood and go on and do their thing. But now, of course, uh, news has come through in the last 24 hours. You're uh, now the head coach as well, uh, for the remainder of the season, which I would imagine means uh, a lot more hands-on, a lot more direct contact with the players and the tactics, etc., uh, than you were previously. Yeah, certainly, you're spot on. Um, you know, my role was more an overarching one, and certainly had input around the, or big input around the squad and, and the playing style, and, and but not so much actual hands-on day-to-day stuff. So, um, you know. As, as we've seen players pull out, you know, coaches are under the same sort of pressure as well. So, unfortunately, Simon Kadic has, you know, had to make himself unavailable. And, um, you know, the, we have a business contingency plan along with a lot of businesses, and, the, and, the, and that plan suggests that I step up and take on that role. So, look, I'm looking forward to, to getting back on the tools from a hands-on perspective. But, yeah, it certainly does increase my workload. Um, but I guess it's, you know, when you're in the heat of battle, um, you know, the priorities are going to shift to obviously on the field um, rather than planning too much for medium and long term. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Um, and obviously we've made a few changes in our in our playing staff as well due to, you know, player unavailability and, and, and players, um, you know, playing for their country and so forth. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a busy month. Well, that's involved uh, a New Zealander as well. I believe Finn Allen's been replaced. Just, just go through those two or three changes you've had to make, Mike. Yeah, so Finn Allen and Scott Kugeline, who, who actually came in as a replacement for uh, Kane Richardson for us, both of those two have been selected for New Zealand um, and have chosen to, to play for New Zealand, which, you know, we're, we're supportive of. Um, but it sort of means, you know, they were, were both, um, you know, not in our starting four overseas players. Um, so therefore, you know, a good chance for them both to get some playing time, um, you know, for New Zealand overseas. So we've had to look at those replacements. 
Kane Richardson uh, is unavailable, as was Daniel Sams, um, for a variety of reasons. So those four, um, I guess, losses to the squad meant we had to change our balance a little bit. So, you know, Adam Zampa is obviously a frontline bowler, but we changed him for a gentleman by the name of Winindu Hasaranga, who's a, a Sri Lankan uh, leg-spinning all-rounder. Um, he's got some power towards the, the bottom end, so we're pretty happy with that. Um, we know we're in quite a lot of competition for his services, so great to to get him on board. Uh, we also got Chimera from Sri Lanka. Uh, you would remember him from that test match in Hamilton where he basically just banged it in halfway down, but he's a, he's a very skillful one-day bowler now and bowling you know, as quick as anyone around at the moment. Um, and we brought in a young a fella, Tim David, who... Um, uh, is playing for, well, he played for the Southern Brave, who just won the 100 over there at the moment. Played for Surrey, he's actually from Singapore. Um, he played for uh, the Hobart Hurricanes in the BBL as well, so some of your listeners might have might know him from that. But, yeah, an exciting talent around the, the franchise scene and just gives us that backup in the middle order for, for Maxwell and A.B. A- de Villiers. So, uh, Mike, your first game, if I get it right, is uh, on... The 21st of September, scheduled to be in uh, the Cold Cutter Night Riders, uh, is currently coached by uh, Brendan McCullum. Uh, are you likely to see Brendan McCullum, Baz McCullum there, or is is uh, is that just a little bit up in the air at the moment? Oh, look, I'm not entirely sure. I think everybody has said everybody's a little bit uncertain with you know with MIQ and the, the thought of getting stuck overseas for a long period of time. So, you know, I guess we've all got to make a decision around. Um, you know whether we're able to go over there and you know fulfil our duties or or not, and that's a you know that's a difficult decision for for all of us. So I'm not sure exactly where um, you know where Brendan or we've obviously got you know Stephen Fleming and Shane Bond. You know we've got lots of people in that boat who uh, Chris Donaldson, who you know some will go on to the World Cup afterwards, so that makes it a little bit easier. Uh, some will obviously be looking to try and get home uh, before Christmas. So. Um, yeah, look, we've all we've all got our challenges, but yeah, looking forward to seeing Brendan actually. Um, and I guess uh, yeah, I mean he's got a he's got a pretty good squad under his belt as well, and, and obviously they're going to have to win a lot of games to to progress. So they'll be wanting to start uh, wanting to start pretty uh, pretty impressively in the second half. Seven matches done and dusted from your point of view at the moment. You sit uh, in a pretty good spot, actually, Mike. Uh, you sit uh, second equal but third on uh, net run rate. But it's fairly condensed there at the top of the table, four teams within four points. So uh, exactly, you know exactly where you are. You're not starting from scratch, although it might feel like it. You're actually not. Yeah, look, we started well. I mean, we won five of our first seven games, which was good. We lost our last one, so that just gave us a little gentle reminder around the fact we've got to be you know on song and we were certainly outplayed in that one so um but yeah look we've played some good cricket i think we've got a good balance in our squad um you know i think with our changes um you know we've strengthened in some areas um which is which is great um in terms of being able to potentially play that second overseas spinner um especially in the uae where you know that will be will be incredibly important to keep be able to keep attacking through those middle overs and, and taking wickets so uh, look, we you know we think we've got a, a decent side. Um, obviously, we you know we don't try and overplay things. We know we're uh, you know the RCB have never won the IPL, so that's certainly something that um, you know we're desperate to do, but not also not uh, not let it drive us. So uh, yeah, seven games, it's some good cricket, and hopefully we can get in the playoffs. Where's Cole Jamison at? I mean, I know he's been playing um, in England, but he 
because he's not going to Bangladesh um, or Pakistan, perhaps at this stage, I, I don't think he's named in those squads, he's available to you and then straight on to the World Cup. Is, is that how that group of players works? Yeah, it does. So I think if you're, a, if you're basically a starting player in the IPL, um, then you know, New Zealand cricketers have certainly uh, let, you know, let the players decide um, what they want to do. And, and as I said, those that are starting and playing a big role uh, and Kyle's certainly one of those for us. He's played he's played every game so far, um, and he's made a you know made a good contribution in terms of taking top order wickets for us, um, and big wickets sort of through the middle there. And he's also done a good job with the bat. So he um, you know he'll come over about the tenth of September. Um, obviously, have to do his quarantine and then uh, get himself ready. But he's he's certainly going through a, a strength and conditioning window now with you know with the New Zealand team and. Because obviously there's a big, uh, a big season here for the Black Caps as well, so this will be the, the start of the next block for them. Uh, okay, so uh, when you get there, uh, obviously India are touring England at the moment, looking pretty good too. I think your bowling attack is <coughs> way too good for that English batting lineup at the moment, pretty much whatever the conditions they throw up. Um, Mike, uh, so that means uh, you'll be working very closely uh, with Virat Kohli, but uh, in terms of your, your other quality overseas players, you've got A.B. de Villiers, uh, Glenn Maxwell, uh, and obviously Dan Christian, who's uh, a travelling or non-travelling reserve for uh, the Australian T20 World Cup side. So he'll, he'll have a point to prove. But genuinely speaking, uh, quality, mate. You've got quality available to you. Yeah, look, we do. Um, and I think we I think we did pretty well at the auction in terms of we, we focused on getting Maxwell, who, who gave us that you know that stability or that, that explosive sort of power through the middle, um, just to take the pressure off AB and... And those two work really nicely together through the middle order, which had been an area where we'd struggled. So it's always a lot easier to find quality top order Indian players, but a lot harder to find you know middle middle order ones. So hence we've filled that void with with those two. Um, but to be fair, you go through the you know you go through most of the squads, and there's some, <laughs> some pretty damn good players available. Uh, there's actually going to be a few unavailable too um, for this one. So as I said, the sides that have been able to deal with that replacement window best. Uh, will likely have the best balanced squad, I think. You know the conditions in the UAE and the Dubai area quite well uh, now, Mike. It's almost, almost like a, a second playground for you. Uh, so that squad that New Zealand have picked for the upcoming T20 World Cup, uh, in your mind, has it covered pretty much all the bases? Were there any surprises for you, uh, any omissions? Oh, look, I was pleased to see Adam Milne back in the mix. Obviously, he's there as a as a travelling reserve. He's, I mean, he's been outstanding in terms of uh, T20 cricket for the last, you know, 12 months or so. So nice to see him back in the mix. Um, look, there were some tough decisions to make, wasn't there, in terms of, you know, leaving out one or two. Uh, obviously, De Groenholm, uh, Maharo in particular, have obviously been, uh, you know, played important roles over the years, but they've been, you know, usurped by some other pretty impressive talent as well. And, uh, you know, St. Allen obviously missed out as well. He he did nicely towards you know, in his in his last couple of games for New Zealand. Um, so yeah, some tough decisions, and I guess that's what why the Black Caps going so well, isn't it? They've got you know competition in all forms of the game, but uh, the challenge will always be playing spin through the middle overs. I think over there, um, that ability to to read wrist spin um, and get through there, you know, those mystery spinners through the middle. And if New Zealand can do that, because they've got a number of subcontinent teams they're playing against. If they can do that through the middle, then um, you know I think the rest of it will take care of themselves. They've got some some pretty good talent. Okay, Hess, uh, thanks very much for your time this morning. Uh, I think uh, we might be linking up on a, some sort of podcast tomorrow for uh, Sky Cricket, the Smith and Hesson show. So uh, hopefully see you there at some stage tomorrow afternoon. 
and after that, travel safe, Sounds mate, and, and stay safe. Stay safe, Mark. That's, that's, of course, the number one priority these days. So I hope it's successful over there for you, but I hope it's uh, safe and successful. Cheers, Hess. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Smithy. Appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers, mate. They're very informative there, Mike Hess, and so we're now up to date with uh, the IPL. We're up to date with uh, where the Rugby Union and uh, the Players Association sit with the pending decision this afternoon. So uh, it's been pretty good uh, first uh, 45 minutes in terms of gathering that sort of knowledge. 9.45 here on SENZ. Uh, when we come back, uh, maybe a reaction to that. Some calls and texts, 8833-0800-150-811. And also, uh, we're not far away from our multi-tip for today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Just after 10 o'clock this morning, we're going to talk to Julie Cole. Who's Julie Cole? Julie Cole is Paul Cole's mother. If there's a prouder household in New Zealand at the moment, I'll go he. They should be. Paul Cole won the British Open Squash Championship overnight. No New Zealander has ever won that. 1986, Ross Norman was in the grand final, but uh, in terms of the men's side of it, uh, no one has ever won it until now. So Paul Cole, uh, what about his journey? Where did it start? Uh, you know, what kind of sacrifices has uh, he had to make? We would have liked to talk to Paul himself, of course, but it's the middle of the night now, um, and if he's not celebrating somewhere, uh, I'll go he. The breakfast boys got him briefly, but we would have got him as well, I think, if we could have just to gauge a support for a new audience. But, um, you know, he's... Um, He's obviously, uh, and should be partying somewhere, I think his, uh, his other half, his, uh, his partner lives in Holland or the Netherlands, uh, mum and dad of course, uh, who would have been over there, uh, couldn't travel because of COVID, so we'll get that story, uh, here's a text coming uh, about Dave Rennie, hi guys, I'm sure Rennie is a good coach, but after listening to Rob Nicholl this morning, it is not in Australia's rugby interest to have Rennie near the media spouting bulldust, cheers Mike, um, thanks for your impression there. Um, yeah, Dave Rennie, obviously something uh, uh, really did trick, trigger something there in his mind and uh, probably thought, well, I've just been over there for quite a while. We've just suffered two losses. I really need to get these guys to Perth as soon as possible so I can get a good result under my belt. So you can kind of see the, the thinking there. Uh, also, uh, later this morning, we're going to talk to Cody Everson. He's a member of the New, Z- New Zealand wheelchair rugby team and the Paralympics uh, just a couple of days away. So fascinated to to have a chat uh, to, to Cody Everson. Uh, also, uh, it's multi-time. Multi-time just before 10 o'clock here. Uh, we'll come up with our options for today and wish us all the best of luck. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, pretty close at the weekend. Seagulls uh, did beat the Raiders in the end. It was close. $1.38. The Sharks whopped the Tigers. Uh, $1.56. South Africa did beat Argentina by 13 plus at a buck seventy-two. But Naomi Osaka on Friday afternoon was beaten in a very big surprise by Jill Teichman. Uh, at $1.22, that was uh, almost the guarantee in the mix. It appears there are no guarantees, but certainly there are problems in the Osaka camp still um, with uh, post-match press conferences, etc., and just her ability 
to cope with what's going on in her tennis life, maybe her private life as well. Uh, moving right along to today's one, the Cleveland Indians in the Major League Baseball Conference to beat the, the LA Angels. That's a buck seventy six. The Indians to beat the Angels, a dollar seventy six. Uh, Mexican football, here's a, a way out sort of one. Nakaxa to beat the FC Juarez at a dollar sixty. It's uh, N-E-C-A-X-A. I'll give you the spelling because my pronunciation of Mexican uh, outside of um, tacos is not too flash. Uh, Swansea City to beat Plymouth Argyle. That's uh, tomorrow morning early at a buck sixty two in the English Championship. That's four dollars. 56 there so uh, get involved in that and uh, with a bit of luck we might have uh, a little bit of success early in the week mark hinton and james mcconey will be part of the panel in the next hour number of subjects to talk about there the all blacks paul cole name changes of our national teams oh haven't i told you about that i, I will after 10 o'clock that's the deuce that doesn't get you fired up Nothing well, honestly. But the good news, Julie Cole. Julie Cole after 10 o'clock, news time now with Trudy Nelson. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's a good life, it's a good life. He's won the British Open. That's unbelievable. He's got to do the hacker now, surely. Surely, he has to. He has to do the hacker. That's amazing. He's been knocking on the door for quite some time. He's been a former World Championship finalist. He's won the British Open the first time since Lani Joyce, who won it in the women's back in 2002. So we're looking at close to 20 years, and he's done it. Incredible stuff for Paul Cole. Absolutely brilliant. The best performance of Paul Cole's career. Well, it's uh, 10.03 here on SENZ. And and over the last uh, month or so with the Olympics, etc., we have had some wonderful, wonderful sporting moments where we've all been really proud of the way our athletes have performed overseas. But uh, I think earlier this morning, it just about topped a lot of them uh, with Paul Cole winning the British Open, the first New Zealand male to ever win it, and we've sent some wonderful squash players overseas to have a crack. Uh, don't you worry about that. Uh, uh, Ross Norman, I think, uh, made the final back in 1986, but no one's ever won it. Uh, and I'm not sure there would have been a prouder, noisier household in New Zealand uh, than the, the Cole household. Uh, really was something special. Uh, Julie Cole, proud mother of Paul Cole, uh, joins us on the line this morning. Just when you saw that final, that match point, what were your feelings, Julie? Uh, I actually was a bit stunned. <laughs> Absolutely um, over the moon. Yeah, My husband's with me, Mike, as well. He's here as well. Yeah, we're just... Well, this is just... Uh, folks, it's great to have you both with us. Mike, Mike and, and Julie Cole are, are going to share this interview, which is great. So I'll throw the questions out. You can nod to each other who wants to uh, to, to chip in with them because it's a, a real team process, this. And I, I think that's the story, isn't it, really? It has been such a, a team effort to get Paul from, you know, down there on the coast to get to this point. A lot of sacrifice. Uh, yes, it's been uh, a lot of ups and downs and there has been quite a few downs in there, quite a few times when he's wanted to actually throw it all in. It's been too much. 
but he just loved the game so much and just really wanted this dream. So he, it really did take a big effort for him to achieve what he's achieved from, from here, from Greymouth, and the sacrifices were huge. Well, Greymouth, uh, from my knowledge, is, you know, and the coal name is synonymous with rugby league and, and you know, hard men who uh, basically spend their lives digging up mines and things like that and then, you know, getting out on the rugby league paddock. So squash seems quite a, a far-removed sport, uh, if, if you just take a broad view of it. Tell us how he got into squash. How did you put him into squash? Would he put himself there? Well, I, I started squash when I was 21. Um, I got into it with a friend of mine and then Paul, thing, you know, Paul just followed on in, in, the, in my footsteps really to, to come along to the courts when we were playing tournaments and you know, he got down on the court with um, Kate Atkinson when he was only probably 13 and really, um, you know, just took the game on and then eventually he decided that, you know, he that was a sport he wanted to um, excel in and, and he definitely has. It's It's been just a, a wonderful trip for us. He must be very highly self-motivated because... There he is, stuck in the middle of all these highly ranked Egyptians. I think there's two ahead of him and about four or five behind him, and there he is, right in the middle of the whole lot, fighting in this lone battle. Um, you know, t- tell us about his determination because it would it would stop a few people dead in their tracks. That kind of uh, overload. Well, his uncle is um, Tony Cole, who was a um, Kiwi legend. So he has got that comes from the Cole um, name. <laughs> it's in the blood. So, um, yeah, he, he really is just motivated. And because he left home to go to boarding school, and he didn't want to go to boarding school, but if he wanted to play squash, he had to go to boarding school. And so he, he just sort of had a mindset then that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be good. I'm not, his words were, I'm not doing this to be 50 in the world, Mum. He said, I'm doing it to be the top 10. So that was his mindset then, that if I'm going to sacrifice everything and make this big decision at the age of 13, he was going to be the best. It's a it's a tough time, uh, particularly uh, if you're on the road overseas, and you know it's not easy as a family to to get there in person and support. Uh, how how closely have you been able to follow? Um, it doesn't get as much coverage as it should. Squash it might get some more now, thanks to him. But I I, I just uh, I just wonder how close you've been able to keep up with him. Uh, we can follow him on um, Squash TV, so we watch all his games. Um, they they the. Pref- PSA World Tour, they have a um, coverage of all the tournaments now, so we actually do get to see most of his games. And we've been overseas and okay, watched them a few times. Oh, that's that's great that you've been able to do that. I mean, yeah. and this is this is uh, you know he's been knocking on the door of this, but you know the, these Egyptians, uh, Mike, have been standing in his way the whole time. Um, you know, and it, it would, as I said, it would have knocked a few lesser men. What was the secret, secret uh, from you, from uh, your point of view this time around? Um, I just sort of asked him to stay calm and relaxed, and and just didn't try and put any pressure on him that you know he he can do this. We knew that in his own mind he he really really wanted this and he could do it. And this is some of the the most the best squash I've ever seen Paul play. And you know thanks to his coach Rob Owen, who who's actually just bought him on leaps and bounds in the last two years and you know, um, he spent 
last week with Rob and, and really it's sharpened him up no end and you know, he's got a great team of, of supporters behind him, you know, with with Naylor and, and his mental coach over in, in Holland. It's it's just been awesome to see him get to where he's got to. So uh, were you were you um hoping to get there for this? We had our tickets booked to go last year. Um, we were supposed to go in May and then COVID hit in March and it all got cancelled. So uh, there was a group of friends of us going, there's six of us going over there to watch them play the British Open. So we've got those in credit and we were hoping to get there this year, but obviously with COVID we still we can't get back. It's <laughs> a <the> problem. <laughs> so without isolating and that, so we couldn't go. But yeah, we, we had our tickets and everything booked last year. That's a, yeah, I think your tale is one of, of a lot of people. Imagine all those parents that wanted to go to the Olympics as well. So you, at least you can take um, sort of comfort that that uh, you're not alone in, in that capacity. What what is about my, what is it about his game? Uh, what, what is it about his game that you know he's able to break down this this Egyptian barrier? What are his strengths? His really his mental strength and toughness. Where he, you know, like today he just didn't get rattled by. Ali, who you know, he he's an exceptionally good player, um, but also the physical side of his game, he he really um, trains so hard to to be um, you know up there in, in strength, and yeah. and he just just absolutely loves that side of it, and you know he he just trains. That's all he trains. He just trains so hard and and gets there, but mentally, and it's that toughness that comes through and. You know, he he just doesn't get rattled now, and and it's really really great to see. Julie, who who's been as as role models along this way? Because as I said, Ross Norman, but that was night back in nineteen eighty six. Um, you know, yeah, and he's been. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, he, he sort of probably Ross Norman, but he's probably more looked at um, just locally. Just he, Kate Atkinson was a big um, idol of his. So when he was about four, Kate would have been about twelve or thirteen, and he used to take him down on the courts with all the juniors, and um, they used to play a game called Crazy. And I'd have this little four-year-old yelling up to me, "Mum, have another beer. I want to play squash." <laughs> so um, eventually. <laughs> That, that's sort of where it started. I mean, Cade, when he got to about eighteen, went to Auckland, had a bit of a, a go at it, and and Paul said, "I want to do, I want to do what he's doing." So that sort of, and then he started following some of the, um, you know, top players. Then, so um, Stu Davenport's actually helped him along the way quite a bit. And they um, about three years ago, he had a big input into him. He was struggling a bit, and he helped him. He's helped him a lot um, to get where he is too. In terms of um, the post-match presentation, I saw him. Um, he was he was pretty stoked. It was very evident about that. Quite emotional. Um, look, what what he mentioned during that. Uh, I spoke to mum and dad. That was one of my first calls. What what was the conversation uh, about? Uh, there was there wasn't a lot said. It was just uh, <laughs> a lot of smiling and. Pumping, <laughs> yeah. So we will talk to him later in more detail. But yeah, he it was just he was just so he's wanted one of these big tournaments for so long, and he's come so close. And we have to keep picking him up, saying, you know, it's going to come, it's going to come, hang in there, it's coming. And he, you know, he's had a lot of um, disappointments where he's just been nipped at the, uh, you know, in the fifth set and things like that. So you know, it was just huge emotions, yeah. And he, he really didn't say a lot, did he? No, he was just. 
he couldn't say anything. He yes. had just a big smile on his face, and it was, yeah, just awesome. And he just keeps Snapchatting big smiles <laughs> to his brother as well. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> yeah. So, M- Mike, uh, could I ask you, what, what do you think? Uh, I mean, it's only early days. It's only been hours. Uh, what's uh, what's on the agenda now as, in terms of the tour, et cetera, and, the, and you know, the possibility of, of uh, a world championship uh, title for him as well now that he, he knows he can do it and he beat these break down this Egyptian wall. What, what's on the agenda? Um, I think there's just more more tournaments this year and if he can keep getting, you know, these platinum events under his belt then you know, he, and especially now he knows he can beat both of them at, at the same tournament, which was always a stumbling block because he had to beat likes of either Ali in one in one semi final and back up against Muhammad in the other. Um now he knows that he can actually do that and that his confidence will be huge. And from past experience with Paul, when he when he actually gets these guys, it's 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 a big, big step for him. And, and he generally goes further forward with us. Um, and I, I yeah, a, a world championship now would be the icing on the cake for him. Um, but, yeah, we just got to take it. He just takes every tournament one at a time and he doesn't try and get ahead of himself now too much. The, the top 10 in the um, squash at the moment is very strong. So the top players now are getting hard games before they hit the finals. Um, whereas quite often the unseeded players would have really hard games and the top players would sort of get easier games. But with the calibre of the um, players in the top 10 now, everybody's getting hard games. There's no easy draw to the final. So it levels the playing field quite a bit. Well, Julie, this is a great story. It really is. I mean, you know... I go back to Susan Devoy, Dame Susan Devoy, and uh, of course Leilani Joyce. But to, to get one on the men's side is absolutely brilliant. So so much so that someone has texted in and said, "Is Greymouth now going to be na- renamed Coltown?" Um, you know, for <laughs> a, a number of reasons. I, I suppose it could be, but this is the spelling C O L E, Coltown, C O L E. What what chance? What uh, what? It should no, be C O L L. They've got they've yeah, got it wrong. Right. It should be so C O L L. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah. Uh, this is from the Timaru Celtic Squash Club, uh, so they've got to get their spelling right there, but that is Timaru after all. Hey, um, here's the thing. When, when, when could you in Greymouth, or when, when could you on the coast, or when could you see uh, Paul Cole back in New Zealand? Is there a chance of that? He's um, been desperate to get home um, for, he hasn't been home for two and a half years and he was supposed to come home last year. He used used to come home um, at least once a year for nationals and then he used to every second year get home for Christmas. So um, he's just, because of last year with COVID, he never got home and he didn't make the Christmas before. So he's desperate, absolutely desperate. As soon as that border, um, that isolation is gone, he'll be home. Well, I, I can say all I can say is I can hear the joy in your voice, um, and I, I just <laughs> wish we we could see your faces because uh, uh, honestly the smiles must be so wide they must light up the west coast this morning. Congratulations, proud parents! Thank you so much for Thank taking you. the time Thank to uh, to share to share those uh, those special moments with us. Uh, really wonderful, and, and if you're speaking to them later in the day, on behalf of uh, of SENZ, the new team in town, we're part of. Uh, Team Cole as well from here on in. He's just been fantastic. Good morning to you and thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's Mike and Julie Cole, uh, the two proudest parents in the country at the moment. Barnan, 10.17 here on SENZ. 
from behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, to me, yeah. 10.22 here on SENZ and of course it's panel time. James McConey from Crowd Goes Wild fame, Mark Hinton from Stuff, he's the rugby and basketball expert there. So Mark Hinton, uh, good morning to you. You will have been watching this uh, saga of the All Blacks going to Perth, not going to Perth, etc. Uh, spill out over the weekend to the point where the Aussies may just want to send us a bill for five million bucks. <laughs> yeah, good morning, Smitty, and good morning, James. Um, yeah, this is a real soap opera, isn't it? Uh, <clears throat> Trans-Tasman relations not exactly um, the best at the moment, and I would suggest uh, um, that's probably not good news um, for New Zealand rugby going forward. This We have to figure out a way to, to work with these Australians, even though it, it seems problematic under this Andy Marinos, their new CEO, who's who's coming across as quite a bullshit character, isn't he? Um, look, um, uncertain times, difficult times. I'm, I'm not sure playing the blame game is the way to go. You know, you get into a he said, she said situation. I'm pleased Mark Robinson's pulled back from that. Um, but the Australians came out really hard, didn't they? Andy Marinos first with a statement, and then Dave Rennie with his comments. Very Obviously very disappointed the Oblix didn't make that trip, but you can't blame them. Can you, Smithy? They have, They don't even know what the schedule for the rugby championship is going to be. It could be in the UK. It could be in South Africa. It could be in Australia. You know, if you're a CEO of an organisation, um, you're not going to send your guys into the unknown when they're going to be away for three and a half months, not back till the end of November. So, look, uh, um, ugly situation. Uh, Trans-Tasman relations are clearly not good, but I... I Personally, from what I know of this, and I'm not sure we all know everything, I can't blame New Zealand rugby for their decision. I think it, it was a sound one. Uh, James McConey is with us as well. And James, uh, yeah, uh, it's not a great thing because we work so alongside uh, Australian rugby in so many things, including uh, the Bledisloe Cup, which uh, people are starting to question the value of that. And then, of course, you've got Super Rugby Trans-Tasman as well. It's not a relationship that we uh, we want to lose, is it? No, it isn't. I mean, first of all, we're doing them a favour, aren't we? I mean, we just put 57 points on them. Actually, they should be thanking us for uh, taking a little diversion here. But the one thing that I think probably should be taken into consideration is that even though it is a risk going over there before you go, and I was just thinking, as long as the Western Australian government's happy, uh, it probably is a, a risk worth taking because you can still play that game and then head for Europe. Uh, all things considered, because I do remember before the Tokyo Olympics, everyone was saying this is going to get shut down in, in no time, this is going to be the worst games ever. And we just enjoyed probably one of the best um, sporting uh, fortnights. And so I don't think it would have been a, any skin off anyone's nose if we'd just gone. So, James, where do, where do you see uh, this rugby championship right now? Where do, where do you see probably it being played? I wouldn't know. Mark would know better than me, so I should probably hand back to the the day-to-day rugby journalists. But those venues they're talking about, it sounds like most of those cities they're, they're trying to there there are crowds allowed. Um, I just saw Paul Cole in the the British squash open, so I'm sure Mark's at the at the forefront of that. 
So I'll, I'll get to you, yeah. I'll get to you, Mark, on that. We'll get the Paul. Yep. We'll get the Paul Cole shortly, Mark. Um, uh, yeah, look, yep. it makes sense to get crowds because that's that's the crux of the whole issue, which effectively rules South Africa out, doesn't it? Absolutely. Look, South Africa is uh, uh, can host the rest of the championship, but in front of empty stands. What is the use going into a, a you know quite a high risk kind of community? Um, to not generate any money other than to meet your broadcasting commitment. So I think you, I think you rule South Africa. I think it's a straight decision now between playing it out in Queensland, where there is going to be apparently some uh, movement allowed in and out, uh, with with um, um, quarantines able to be served by teams and continue training, or up in the UK in. Uh, you know, based around the sort of London, a bit of Europe or whatever, in some of those big stadiums up there where there are now no restrictions. Look, the sensible one, Smitty, take it there. The teams are all heading up there in November anyway. Push the rugby championship mm-hmm. back a few weeks. Maybe play that game against the Wallabies en route, as Jimmy touched on. Then head up to the UK where they can give the expats uh, some real entertainment, make some money, go into a big market, play in the right times for the broadcasters in the north, and uh, play this championship out. Look, we, we just want to see these teams meet, particularly the All Blacks and Springboks. And if they can do it in, in full stadiums, even better. Because look, that when that when this when this clash happens, it really means something in 2021. Sure will, absolutely sure will. Speaking of uh, things that matter, James McConey, and uh, it's a bit of the pot and the kettle here. But being the fantastic physical specimen that you are, and with a strong background in squash. <laughs> You will have got you will have got a lot out of Paul Cole making history for us overnight. What a great achievement! Well, we've all played squash, haven't we? Especially if you're from a small town, it's the one place where you know you can get into a room and get sweaty, and it's all just good, good old fashioned <laughs> fun, very primal. Um, and I'm not talking about the swingers parties either in Tiamatu. I'm talking about a game that you know it really is actually a, a backbone of like growing up in New Zealand and. Should be an Olympic sport, but what Paul Cole has done, beating the world number one, going through, no easy draw. Um, yeah, he's world number three at the moment, I think. Or that's going to climb, but he is just, uh, he's just worked his way to become a legend. He's already been the superman of squash, diving around the place and uh, straight out of Greymouth, which I love. So this is, this is a sport that doesn't get enough um, kudos. They must look at the Olympics and go, wait a second. Badminton, table tennis, tennis, even tennis, even though they've got majors, they're invited. What the, what the hell do we have to do? So uh, I'm, I'm really stoked, and that's huge because I know Ross Norman, um, he made it to the final uh, a long, long time ago. Mm. Smithy, you'd remember that. Yep, 1986, mate. Remember it well. Uh, Mark Hinton, where does this uh, rate for you? I know it's an Olympic year. We get a bit knee-jerky over things, but, uh, and we tend to react very quickly. But for me, this is right up there. Yeah, uh, early contender for Sportsman of the Year, I think. British Open crown, it's the second biggest event in in the sport outside the World Championships. No New Zealand male has ever won it. Ross Norman made the final, lost to Jahinka Khan. As you touched on, the great Stu Davenport, another squash name from back in the day, uh, never won this. Only ever been won by Susan Devoy and I believe Leilani Joyce once. So um, fantastic achievement. It will be... It will be make him a finalist for the Halbergs, thoroughly deserved it. It will take some beating. Um, this is a guy that's been knocking at the door for a while. He's a great story, as Jimmy touched on, West Coaster. Um, a, a, a real get, 
grut, gritty, gutsy Kiwi athletes who's fought his way, but, you know, been close to this result on a number of occasions, and to see him finally get it, fantastic. So we'll take some beating for a Helberg, I reckon, Smithy. Good on you, Mark. Stick, stick around, fellas, because uh, I've got another fairly emotive issue to just uh, run past you after the news with Trudy here at 10.30. Talk, big opinions, the panel. Right, gentlemen, uh, Trudy touched on it during the news. Uh, the All Whites are looking possibly to change their name um, of the national team, so that might disappear. This is on the back of um, you know a, a wider process going through to ensure that they're up to the mark when it comes to cultural inclusivity. Uh, and apparently they've been uh, gauging feedback on a potential change for at least six months. Uh, right, Mark Hinton, what's your take on this one early on? Uh, PC madness, Smithy. This is just crazy. All I can think is that maybe New Zealand football um, are worried that they haven't been in the news for a little while and have, have hatched a plan to get people talking about them. I mean, this is just crazy. Why would you even include this um under the topic of culture you know cultural sort of sensitivity and awareness i mean uh, the all whites are not named uh it has nothing to do with culture or race and everything to do with the color of the shirts they wear so under under this type of thinking where the reds the blues the boston red Sox, the chicago white Sox, they're all going to think about changing their name because Naming after colours gets too tricky. Look, it's just crazy, Smithy. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I think it's it's fi- it's looking for and finding a problem where absolutely none exists. Um, yeah, New Zealand football, we're talking about you at the moment, but to me, this is just crazy, and it's something we shouldn't really be discussing because it's a non-event. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, I'm of the exact same opinion. That where does it stop? Where, where does it actually stop? Um, James McConey, I, I know you, you take a, lot, a light-hearted look at most things, and you probably can at this one as well, but it's a little bit more deep-seated than this, and it, and it could get uh, a little bit ugly. Yeah, because it looks like if that's the reason why, they might be able to actually um, get this through and change things. I, I just worry that, um, that sort of changing for, for the wrong reasons. My, my only reason that I probably... You know, didn't like the All Whites so much is that it was so derivative of the All Blacks. Just name your team. This is I'm going right back to the 80s. You know, find a find a name for your team and just um, for your own reasons. Uh, whereas everything seems to have stemmed from All Blacks to Tall Blacks to you know Black Ferns or whatever, which is fine. Okay, we've done that and um, and it seems to have worked for us. So I just can't see the reason to change it for, for that alone. I would have thought that maybe. Um, somewhere along the line, they might have wanted to change it for another reason. Like, hey, let's just name ourselves after, you know, one of a native animal. Maybe not the tomtits, but um, unfortunately, the Tukara, which was the coolest one, has been taken by the baseball team. But, you know, the, I think the reason, um, yeah, I mean, I was in South Africa. It was awkward um, a couple of times uh, saying what your, um, in the 2010 World Cup, what your national team was called. But... Like Mark says, it's not about skin colour, it's about the name of the shirts, that's what they went with, and it became um, a pretty recognisable brand. Well, I'm a little bit with you, Mark, on this, um, maybe looking for some sort of acknowledgement that they're still alive and kicking, because I just can't 
I, I just can't for the life of me uh, understand it. I, 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 surely, they've, surely they've thought through the colour of the shirt's issue. They must have done that. Yeah, it's, it's just crazy, Smithy. Um, um, I can't, you know, I, I can only think New Zealand football are thinking, well, let's get people talking about us. I mean, that, that has to be it because at the end of the day, you know, you're just creating a controversy where none exists. Um, have you ever heard anyone say, oh, I'm really disappointed with that name? I, I kind of agree with, with James about the kind of nastiness of kind of having all these names that were a derivative of the All Blacks. But then that speaks to the power of that name and that brand. And I guess, as James said, over time we've got used to it. Even, you know, I'm a basketballer and, and the Tall Blacks kind of didn't sit well with me initially. But then through usage, names become accepted. Um, and, you know, yeah. and we've had the controversy over the Crusaders, haven't we? And look, there's different reasons for that, maybe. I can kind of see where that goes to uh, around, it, you know, what... Um, what things stand for and what emblems stand for and things like that. You can make a case there, um, but even that, even that I thought was a little bit crazy. But this, hey, this is just creating controversy when none needs to exist. Mm. Yeah, well, if they're consistent, James, if they're consistent, and uh, the key words here for me are cultural inclusivity. Inclusivity suggests everybody. Uh, if, that, if this yeah. happens, if it goes through, then we certainly have to look at the All Blacks, we have to look at the Tall Blacks, we have to look at all other, I mean we haven't got for goodness sake, at least we're, none of us are silver, or my hair is, so we, perhaps we wouldn't have yeah. to change the silver ferns but you know what I'm saying? Oh, um, and also we don't have as many um, animals as Australia I mean they haven't even touched the wombats or the platypus yet, and uh, or the cassowaries, and we're over here the quaggers? going, we're actually we don't have enough, you know yeah. What's that? The oh, quokkas. I, I just... Yeah, the quokkas. Sorry, mate. You're right. The quokkas. They have the beautiful cute They have touched but, the yeah, quokkas. We... <laughs> You're not allowed to touch them, by the way, but they are very cute. <laughs> the thing is is that if you... It is the precedent. I, um, I agree with you guys. If you say that that's going to be the way, I, I know I whether know it's coming from a good place, and I think that's fine. That needs to, needs to be acknowledged. But it's also like... Let's just um, be strong enough to say this team isn't, it's not about that, and there's other ways to show that their inclusivity. I mean, they did take a knee at the uh, the Olympics, the Ollie Whites, and, um, you know, I thought that was, or was it the football fans? Look, I, I, I think there's um, there are other ways to show that they are an, an inclusive sport, and I think there's been nothing to suggest that they're not. So, yeah, it is a bit um, strange. Uh, Mark, on the show the other day, we had uh, a, a delightful young lady by the name of Charlize Ledger Walker on. Of course, uh, she's uh, yes. making uh, big, big waves in the NCAA program for women's basketball. Uh, just how big could uh, Charlize Walker be, uh, Ledger Walker be, in a name on our horizon? Oh, massive! She um, almost certainly, Smithy, she's going to make the WNBA, uh, which only one New Zealand woman, Megan Campaign in the league's first ever year. Um, this is the pinnacle league like the men's NBA is. The NBA is in men's basketball. The WNBA is basically the women's equivalent. It's not quite as big as the NBA or nowhere near it in terms of the money and so forth, but it, it's considered the pinnacle league. One New Zealander ever played in it, Charlize Lega-Walker. You can write it down now. She will be in that league. 
her first season as a um, freshman in NCAA basketball where she, you know, broke all sorts of records for Washington. Uh, I think average nigh on 20 points a game as a freshman, first time playing in, in NCAA. Uh, it was just incredible. Has her on that path. Everyone who understands the game in the States uh, is suggesting that she, she will be a WNBA BA player, which makes her arguably our most special player ever. Um, and I guess for a kid that debuted for the New Zealand senior women's team when she was, I think, 15 or 16, um, was, be, uh, was uh, I think, won a school's national title or was certainly in the final every single year. She was at Cambridge uh, High School there um, where she went to school. Um, she's always been on the track for something special and uh, looks set to deliver with everything we've seen so far. And from a very, very special family too, her, um, her mother, Leanne Walker, was an absolute basketball legend. And all of the daughters are very, very good players. So, um, yeah, she is on the, on the path to stardom, Smitty. And pretty soon, uh, Megan Compain will no longer be able to say she's the only Kiwi to have played in the WNBA. Fantastic, Mark. And uh, from my point of view, just talking to her, it looks like she'll take it in her stride uh, very, very easily. Mark Hinton and James McConey were our panel this morning. Uh, some wonderful opinion there, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, um, the all-whites, eh? What do you reckon? Texts and calls, 88.33. We've already got some in. We've already got some in. I knew that would be quite a nice little hook to throw out this morning to get some reaction. It's very, very sensitive, and so it damn well should be. Louis Herman Watt. Uh, is coming up next, uh, or very shortly with us, uh, before 11 o'clock, uh, and we'll visit the TAB as well to see what's cooking, what's cooking there uh, at Jackson Street in Batoni. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, a uh, couple of texts have come in. First of all, some uh, rugby ones here. Rennie is a sook with the media. I remember when he refused to do interviews with uh, Radio Sport because they questioned his team on cheating, going to the Golden Oldie scrums when they had Siati Tokalahi uh, on the bench saying he couldn't play loose head when he started there the week before. The Chiefs ended up having to put players or assistant coaches up only after New Zealand rugby got involved. Uh, morning, Smithy. On the ABs, if it was... Uh, your business, you were leaking money with the present format. Surely we'll think of it how we can improve the financial side. It's no-brainer to go to the UK. Am uh, all for their decision there. That uh, was poor. Now, um, on the subject of name-changing here, uh, and <clears throat> it's an interesting one. Uh, look at what's happened with the Washington Redskins. They've changed the name, and now they're being sued because some little team in rural Texas is already called the new name. Uh, up the New Zealand mower uh, is a suggestion here. Uh, what a load, this is Albie from Napier, quite like this one, what a lot of woke nonsense New Zealand football is contemplating. You watch, Smithy, all this is going to divide the country. It's going to create a huge division and a nasty mess. This is pure virtue signalling from CEO Andrew Pragnall. There will be no inclusivity from this. It'll be pure division. You watch, Smithy. Yeah, sensitive, really sensitive issue, and uh, we've not heard the last of it. Uh, they're not available to talk, actually. They released a, a press statement, uh, and I can see why Andrew uh, Pregnall doesn't want to talk to anyone one-on-one -on -one at this stage, because it's going to be very, very, uh, very divisive uh, if it comes to pass. You kind of feel, uh, because uh, you've got to look for consistency there. 
Mm, messy, messy, John. Uh, it's the kind of thing, uh, personally, uh, you don't want to have to talk about. Um, it's it's come up before, but uh, this is a very, very high-profile New Zealand sporting team. This is right up there, you know, w- with the great achievements over the years that they've done, back to 1981. Of course, it even goes back further into history than that. But when they were really born was uh, during that wonderful World Cup period under uh, John Adshead and Kevin Fallon, Steve Sumner, all those those household names in New Zealand football. Yeah, in 1982. Uh, yeah, this this is what you're dealing with. It started in 81, I think, uh, with the qualifying process. Uh, you know, we jumped on board with that. Everyone really got really, really keen uh, about the whole deal then. Uh, jumped, uh, and it, it, was, it was superb. Now, this is uh, pre the All Blacks World Cup era, of course. You know, this is, this is five or six years before New Zealand won the first ever Rugby World Cup. Uh, you're dealing with big stuff here. Yeah, and it's only I, I see it comes up when we play internationally, and we're called the All Whites, and some international people don't understand it initially. Um, they're like, whoa, because we live in this world in 2021, they're like, whoa, you can't call your team that. And it's like, well, and then they see our uniforms, and then they're like, oh, okay, now I get it. So there might be some international backlash, just tiny little bits of the international community, Smithy, but to jump to this stage and say you want to rename the team because of that is just absolute madness. And Andrew Pragnell, yep, I can see why you're not coming on the show and don't want to do any interviews. Louis Herman Watt uh, will always come on the show and Paul Mawari from the TAB uh, are coming up before 11 o'clock. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Well, I'm tempted to sneeze here, but I'll just say the magic word to Louis Herman, Herman Watt. Uh, I'll just say a tissue because uh, I think that was the best story of New Zealand racing in Australia over the weekend, Louis. Yeah, Kleenex. Um, um, okay, that's probably about the extent of my brand knowledge when it comes to tissue boxes. But look, Smithy, you bang on. The former Kiwi Mayor, you know, thoughts and prayers to Stephen Marsh today. And actually, just... Marshy, if you're listening, congratulations, mate. You've prepared this mare to an absolute peach. She went so well for you down south in um, the South Island. She's won four in a row. She's now turned up at a, what was it, a benchmark 88 in Sydney, and she's just kicked them in, really. She did it with an explosive turn of foot. I guess the biggest question now, Smithy, is what do they do with her? So Albert Bosmer is a great guy on the Go Racing team. Congratulations, because the, the, the best thing and the hardest thing when you've got a horse that wins that well it's kind of a double-edged sword. Well, now you've got options. So she probably was naturally going to be a bit of a staying type. So you could looking at the Caulfield Cup, potentially. She's won that well enough that, you know, that's a round possibility. But if she stays that explosive and she stays short and sharp over her next couple of runs around that mile mark in Sydney, why wouldn't you keep her there and have a run at the Golden Eagle? So I think it's about a 9 or $8 million race. Is that what you'd do if you owned her? I think so. I think so. Now that I'm there, I'm staying. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, Louis, the the other uh, big point of interest, I think, uh, didn't win. She didn't win very elegant, but she was very strong, and I think still uh, it all goes well for a, a really good campaign this spring. Oh, how good are the Kiwi breeds, Smithy? So she got beat by who? Well, she got beat by yeah. 
Moonga, Saferville, and obviously she's ideal as well, running third. So the Kiwi Breeds just kicked ass on the first week of the um, this carnival in Sydney there, and Moonga was just unbelievable for Annabelle Nisham and Tommy Berry. Very elegant though, she lost no admirers. She was three wide, but most of the kind of coming around the bend straight. She's so tough, but what a freak Moonga could be because not many horses have got past her and um, her racing career to date. Just very quickly. Um... It looks like the South Island might get freed up if you believe the rumours. Does that mean racing somewhere in the south towards the end of the week, hopefully? Yeah, 100%. Level 3 means racing. So the horses have been trained, so we don't have much of a delay. As soon as logistically NZTR, Harness Racing, Greyhound Codes, as soon as they can logistically get it up and running, um, we'll see racing at Level 3. So that would be awesome news if the rumours are true. Good news. Uh, thanks very much, Louis Herman. What we need that. TAB needs that. They need turnover. Paul Mawadi. Seven oh two on a Monday morning here on SENZ, and that is our perfect time slot uh, every week. Uh, Vossy joins us. Andrew Voss joins us. Uh, he's just come off here with his own breakfast show. So. It's great that he can find this window for us. Uh, Vossi, uh, reaching the pointy end of the season. Uh, some interesting results uh, over the course of Thursday through to Sunday, but the one that, uh, of course, affected New Zealand viewers, Warriors fans, was a narrow loss to the Broncos, 24-22. Oh, good morning, Smithy. Uh, yeah, heartbreak here. And good morning to everyone. We're all in the same boat, lockdown at the moment, and, uh, and obviously uh, standing by for press conferences and the like from our leaders. Um, I look, hand on heart, Warriors were better side against the Broncos. I love Kevin Walters like a brother, the Broncos coach, but I reckon he would even concede the Warriors were incredibly uh, unlucky not to win yesterday. And I know it's easy to just go pinpoint Reese Walsh, one from five, but um, I thought they were the better side. But then on the other side of the coin, you've got to say, well, you know, they are the games you're expected to win if you want to play the finals. You've got to find a way to win them because you're playing a team that is out of finals contention. You've got to beat them. You had to beat them. It was it was heartbreaking yesterday for the Warriors. Um, and, and I will say this, the Broncos have improved. It's definitely a better Broncos side than what we saw, say, six or seven weeks ago or for the better part of the season. But again, if the Warriors wanted to be playing finals football, you can't just say, well, it's another close loss. Brisbane is a side you had to beat. You had to beat and... Uh, mm. The Warriors are going to regret this one in two weeks' time, having lost the match to Brisbane, because it might show up that they would have been in the finals otherwise. Goal kickers, Fossey, are seldom blamed. Uh, they always blame themselves, because uh, that's the way uh, they look at their own performance. Uh, I'd look at, um, perhaps, uh, Reese Walsh's misjudgment under that high ball, which led to uh, the try uh, I thought that was probably a little bit more crucial if you looked at his overall performance. And then he bounces back, of course, with brilliance to make up for it. But that was costly at a bad time. Oh, it's a, it's a great point. I mean, that, that's right. It is easy to just go equate. Miss four goals, that's eight points. But let's break down the entire match and look where the Warriors... The Warriors shouldn't, should not have been in a position where they were having to come from behind in the final 10 minutes to potentially win the game. That, that's a fact. So if I'm Nathan Brown, that is what I'm more addressing. You know Reese Walsh is going to go out to the practice field and, and work on his kicking, but what went wrong leading up to that, that we'd be looking at, we lost the match you know, by, by two. The Warriors should not have been in a position where they were fighting tooth and nail to win that game going into the final minutes and coming from behind. So obviously that's of more concern 
um, to Nathan Brown. I mean, there's another team that has the worst goal-kicking record in the competition, and that's the Roosters, and they're in the top four. Man, they've got, you know, like yesterday, uh, Sarah Tokiaho is a good, he's a pretty handy kicker. But yesterday they had Adam Kieran have a HIA. He was their first choice kicker, so they didn't get a shot. Uh, then Sarah Tiwai came on for a kick. Uh, and then James Tedesco had a shot. And then Sam Walker came on, he had a shot. And they went back to Sarah Tiwai. Um Their record this year is the worst of any club, yet they're in the top four. Um, so goal kickers are very important, but occasionally there's a team that belies that and can still go very well. But I would much rather have a goal kicker in my side that kicks 80% than not. I must say that. That's a, I reckon it's an important element. You're, you're more a chance of winning those close games if you've got a, a sharp shooter than, than not have one. Oh, I agree. And I actually, I, I've been looking at goal kicking and because, I, as you know, I work a lot in rugby as well. Uh, the NRL yep. standard of goal kicking, by and large, is, is, is a lot better than it is in rugby, I promise you. The, uh, their ability to kick from the sideline, it's far and away outweighs the ability of rugby union kickers. Yeah, no, that's true. I, look, it's been massive. Like, I, like I've come up, you know, watching the game through late seventies, early eighties, and I and I got to see great kickers. I mean, you know, you go way back to Mick Cronin and Graham Eady, the old toe pokers, mm. but they had no way, or nowhere near, and a different ball, of course, old leather ball that could get heavy in the wet days and the rest, but nowhere near the conversion rate of um, our best kickers in the competition from the sideline, like Adam Reynolds at South Sydney, from the left-hand touchline, has about an 80% success rate. <laughs> that's that's mm. absolutely extraordinary. You know, he puts it down on that left touchline, and he's going to land eight out of every 10. How good's that? Um, but then, of course, as I said, there's some other teams that, you know, the Roosters, it is a problem for the Roosters. It is a problem for them. You know, Latrell Mitchell left the club. Not only did they lose a star player, they also lost a very good goal kicker. So that, that doesn't help the cause. I think if you're a good side, you do have to look at that when you're signing a play. You have to look at the balance of your team. It's very hard to have a front rower in CSUR's case because he's not on the field for 80 minutes. So therefore, you have to have two goal kickers. South Sydney have Adam Reynolds. He's going to be on the field all the time, but not the case at the Roosters. Probably one of the most uh, intriguing matches of the round uh, was the one, uh, not at the very top of the table, but next rung down, and that was uh, the clash between the Panthers and the Rabbitohs. The Rabbitohs have been on a bit of a charge. The Panthers were just sort of uh, just going about their business without being absolutely startling. Uh, what did you read into that 25-12 result? Well, if I'm a Rabbitohs fan, I'm worried, because I think now, uh, and they, they, look, they've been scoring points for fun, the Rabbitohs. I mean, you know, not just winning games. They've been scoring 30, um, 30 or more. And then they get to a game against Penrith, you know, one of the one of the serious challenges and contenders, and they lead them by double digits. And the second half fail to come up with anything, and it leaves the question mark again on Cody Walker and Adam Reynolds at the pointy end of the season. Now South Sydney have done very well recent times. They get to the preliminary final, but then can't take the next step. All that the other night did was add to that mental, you know, baggage that the team has that, oh, no, this is going to happen again. We're going to be in the final four. We're going to get to the second last week. But when it really counts, the fellas don't quite have what it takes. They, uh, you know, it was criticism of, of good judges, people like Matthew Johns and others, that Cody Walker let a bit too, um, too much emotion get into his game. So, you know, if, if those great playmakers are calling Cody Walker out for that, well, somehow he's got to find an answer to it in the next few weeks. You can't look at it any other way. South City had a test the other night. They failed the test against Penrith. So 
They'll get another crack at them, potentially, in a few weeks' time with a lot more at stake. But will they be, be any better? We well, can't confidently say yes. Well, the Eels uh, got their act together a little bit better, uh, 32-16 over the Cowboys. If I look at the table now, uh, Vossi, I'm seeing seven. I'm seeing seven. Uh, we're looking at three, three, I think, really, the Sharks, the Titans and the Raiders to make number eight, uh, which makes this yep. weekend's uh, round very, very interesting indeed because uh, the Warriors can still mathematically, it's a, it's a corny old saying, they still can, but, man, it's out of their control yep. now. And it would take a miracle for them to get through, to be fair. So oh, well, uh, the key well, matchups well, here, this weekend. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the key matchup. Well, so, okay, purely from Warriors' perspective, um, need mm. the Knights to beat the Titans on Thursday night. So that keeps one of their uh, you know, main challenges on 20. But then the even bigger match is Brisbane against Cronulla. I mean, they, they need Cronulla to be beaten. Uh, quite obviously, and then Canberra Raiders, of course, in the mix as well. So, yeah, there's a number of... Look, there's actually not a game which doesn't have some impact. I mean, even Dragons fans are looking towards the game against the Cowboys um, this weekend. But, you know, if the, if the Dragons could win and a lot of other things fell into place, well, they'll be on 20 points, same number of points as Team 8 going into the final round. Um, Canberra's opponent this week is the Warriors. So, obviously, the Warriors, if they want to be a chance, they have to beat Canberra. So they... They deny Canberra the two. The Warriors pick up two. They go to 20. I know it's all mathematical. The points differential is not great for the Warriors. That's going to hinder them greatly. But the main thing is they just have to win and see where that takes them. There's so many things out of their control. But if you're a Warriors fan, get the voodoo dose off. You want to be sticking pins into the little Titans doll. You want to be sticking pins into the little Cronulla doll. And you may as well stick it into the Dragons while you're at it. <laughs> and then you just never know. You're going to be on the same number of points as the team coming eighth going into the final round. Vossi, just going back to that, that Warriors team, there's a slight common denominator there in Chad Townsend. When he's come into the side, they haven't gone that well. Sean O'Sullivan had them at three in a row, and that was a relatively late change, wasn't it? Oh, I thought I thought O'Sullivan's football the last couple of weeks is the best I've seen in playing his career, um, and that includes you know, his time um, with clubs in Australia. I, I thought... His confidence had grown because he was really digging into the line. And, and I like to see that from a playmaker. You know, they're, they're prepared to take it right up to the line, knowing they're going to get smashed. But, you know, uh, you know commit defenders. I, I thought he'd really improve. Um, so I was a little surprised uh, by that. I, I thought O'Sullivan had passed his examination that he could handle a big game like yesterday based on recent form. So, yeah, I was a little surprised by that. Um, and, and even more so by the fact that, you know, Chad, of course, is, is, is almost on loan. He's only on... It's a transit land for him. And I'm not saying he's not committed and obviously he'll try his best. But O'Sullivan, um, you know, I think should have been given the, the, the crack yesterday if it, if it was me, if it was me. But, I mean, that's all hindsight. Again, it gets back to it. I mean, the Warriors should have played better right across the park and, and should have had the game if you're going to make the final. But, and, and as I said, what a different conversation we're having today if they had a one. You know, they are sitting on 20 points with two weeks to play and knowing they play Canberra and, and maybe by next week may have been even in the eight with one round to play. Then definitely mm. totally in their hands. So, oh gee, I just hope in two weeks' time we're not talking still about yesterday's match. Yeah, it's a long season, isn't it? We, you know, we, we could go back to any number of drop passes or key moments because they've buffed a few away when they've been in front as well. So... At them, you know, if they look in the mirror, probably they'll they'll look a bit deeper than uh, that game yesterday. Vossi, here's an interesting one for you. 
Uh, of course, um, just moving away from the league code, and you might be over this uh, as well, Rugby Union is possibly looking uh, to take the Rugby Championship to Queensland. That is one of the favourite options at the moment. Um, I just wonder, with all the sport that's going on up there and uh, all, the, all the bubbles, etc., that exist around certain sports, is there room? Is there room up there in Queensland and <laughs> those, those areas for the Rugby Championship? It's a great question, and, and, and I tell you, you know, just so our listeners understand the logistics of it, um, when you've got, uh, you can't fly anyone out of New South Wales, we're talking techs and producers and cameramen and the like, you know, the Queensland government would have too, you know, can you point a camera, can you, you know, I mean, there's not too many staff to run all these things, it's been quite a broadcasting miracle this past month or so when we had all the AFL there one weekend and the league and uh, the netball's up there as well, so there's a hell of a lot of sport happening in southeast Queensland, um, obviously in two weeks' time, things cut back. We've only got the finals matches, but um, that'll be quite a effort. What was the event? Is not the Australian Rugby Union saying you owe us five million dollars, uh, New Zealand, because yeah. uh, things things aren't working? It's quite a war happening on and off the field at the moment uh, between the two. So something's got to get sorted out. I mean, I, I know I've read, you know, taken off to London or whatever. Please come on, we've got to try and find an answer somewhere. And at the moment, if the door is only open to Queensland, we'll find a ground. We'll find we'll find a ground and a um, and a crowd, and then we're going to find some cameramen and equipment as well. So there's a bit on our shopping list. How, how about the All Blacks against the uh, the Wallabies uh, or someone like that as a curtain raiser to a league game? How would you feel about that, you leagueies? Wow, that, that that's something. It is many years ago. Like we're talking a hundred years ago, not quite, but. They actually played down in uh, Melbourne. I don't know whether they... Yeah, they did. They played three codes on the one day. This is maybe 70s. AFL was played, um, soccer was played, and rugby league played. Manly played West down in Melbourne. Uh, down in Melbourne, it, Western Suburbs Magpies. It may have just been a pre-season match, but there was actually three codes played at the one venue on the one day. My other out there suggestion, can we build a giant pontoon? What would be the rules on getting the players to play on a floating field. We're going to have Aqua Rugby 7s in November, and I haven't seen the diagrams of how this works, but it's a floating pitch out to sea, Smithy. Are you across this, Aqua 7s? Oh, it's going to be I'm, played I'm in listening. November. The first weekend in November, here off Sydney, in the harbour, they are going to have a field floating in the harbour playing 7s rugby. Um, so, so could that happen? Could, could that be? I don't know. I'm, I'm throwing it out there, folks. I'm throwing it out there. A floating field for a Bledisloe test. There we go. Okay. Bossy, we'll keep floating that one by. Uh, thanks very much for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, busy man on Monday mornings uh, in particular when he links in with us, uh, Andrew Voss, with some interesting propositions. How big, uh, JD, are those uh, aircraft carriers, the decks on aircraft carriers? Any ch- any chance that we might? Oh, you can land planes on them. You can land planes on them. Can you play a game of rugby on them? Oh, mate, uh, give Mark Robinson a call. I'm sure he'll take your call, Smithy, and let him know. It's an option. Well, you heard it. You heard it first on uh, SENZ. Uh, the All Blacks to play the Springboks on the uh, the HMS Enterprise or something like that. Okay. Uh, when we come back, we're we're going to be talking uh, to Cody Everson. Uh, that uh, will be a great chat too. Cody, of course, is. Part of uh, the Wheel Blacks. Can we still call them the Wheel Blacks? Uh, I've got some texts here coming in. I, I knew as soon as you uh, start mentioning the name changes and things for uh, inclusiveness, you're always, uh, particularly when you're looking at uh, 
changing iconic brands like the All Whites, uh, you are starting to uh, ask for, I won't say trouble, but you're certainly going to ask for debate. Uh, Smithy, keep the faith. There's still a chance uh, for the Warriors. Ha-ha. If we win next week on Friday against the Raiders, Sharks lose to Brisbane, Knights beat the Titans. Uh, round 25, the Raiders lose to the Roosters, the Sharks lose to the Storm, the Dragons lose to the Bunnies, and we beat the Titans. We're home and dry. Ryan, you are the ultimate, ultimate op, uh, optimist, I've got to say. Um, Smithy, uh, let's look at a uh, uh, couple of these uh, other ones. Don't understand why the pressure of goal-kicking when he's still so young. That's Chase talking about Reese Walsh. Um, really interesting text coming through, and we get uh, more of those, uh, particularly on the name change there. Uh, before midday this morning, but it's uh, really, really big that I, I welcome into the show Cody Everson. and this is a great story, folks. Uh, he's now a member of our New, New Zealand wheelchair rugby team uh, at the Olympics. Cody, uh, he was a, a young man that looks for the positive in any situation and a very competitive young man as well. Uh, he had dreams of being an all-black, uh, which young kid didn't, but his were cut short when he sustained a neck injury and a tackle in a rugby game. Uh, and, uh, of course, his whole life changed as a result of that. Spent time in the, the Burwood Spinal Unit. He met to Sholto Taylor, uh, a bit of a legend of, of uh, wheelchair rugby, long-time member of the team from the Wheel Blacks who mentors young, young patients and uh, keeps the grips of reality. Uh, Sholto encouraged Cody to watch the Wheel Blacks, and uh, because of that, uh, he's become heavily involved. Uh, we say good morning to you, Cody Everson. How are you finding Tokyo? Hey, Smitley, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty unreal finally being here, eh? Um, just being in the environment and seeing all the different countries and that, it's, it's real now, which is which is something I've been working so hard for and the team has. So, yeah, just really happy to finally be here. Tell us about um, Tokyo. Um, you know, you've moved, uh, obviously, into a village-type situation. Um are you able to mix and mingle at all, uh, or are the protocols pretty tight for you guys still? Yeah, so just coming here, we kind of knew what protocols New Zealand were going to do, and we were going to stick to that uh, as a team. So, yeah, getting here, we're still, we're still keeping our distance and making sure that we're doing all we can to stay safe, even though we feel perfectly safe in the village. You know, we're getting COVID tests every day. But we're still sticking to our protocols, so we can be as safe as possible and get out get out on the court. But yeah, when when we go over to the dining hall and things like that, there's just teams scattered everywhere. So it's it's pretty cool. But um, we're we're still we're here to do a job and, um, and stay as safe as possible. So yeah, no no no, well not too much mingling. Um, a bit of a head nod every every now and again. Hey, Cody, uh, listen, let, let's go back to um, when you were talking with Sholto Taylor. How much, how much convincing did you need to, to have a crack at wheelchair rugby? Yeah, uh, it was an interesting time back then being so young. You know, I was 15 and I always remember him coming into the room. I think it was literally about two weeks after I got into Burwood and I uh, was like, have you heard of wheelchair rugby, mate? And I'm like... Uh, no, but I'm going to walk, so I don't. I don't need to play that. And then, uh, as as time went on in the hospital, was um, seeing him a bit more and just hearing about his journey, it was kind of like, oh, this this could be pretty cool. And yeah, from there, I, I seen the sport, and it was like, yeah, 
yeah, this this looks like a bit of me. The contact was awesome. You could see the strategy. And I think I'd also come to the realisation that, yeah, maybe I'm not going to walk again. And a team sport has always been a part of my life. So getting back in an environment with a competitive team sport was just a no-brainer for me. And I'm so glad that I did it because the things I've done, the, um, the things I've learnt and everything has just... Um, been life-changing outside of a life-changing accident so yeah I think I'm forever grateful of having him introduce me to the sport and just really you know keep positive about it and and give us a give not a way out but also a opportunity to uh, make the most of a bad situation really. Uh, Cody I've locked uh, uh, quite a bit of wheelchair rugby actually I'm, I'm amazed at uh, how you guys are, are so damn skillful at it, but there is a pretty physical nature to it as well, isn't there? I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's 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 incredibly bump and grind and and look out. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's super physical and like the best way to explain it for new people is it's kind of like controlled demolition derby. Uh, it looks like we're just smashing into each other, but there is there is strategy behind it. Um, there's different points on the court, so some are more defend based and trying to block for our high pointers. So, yeah, there is a lot of a lot of smashing around, and we've got a couple of boys in our team that can that can definitely hit hard. So, we're hoping to go out there and make a statement at the start and and hit hard, uh, and also also um, score score a few points. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's exciting. It's uh, really fast. Um, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited for that first for that first whistle and just to, just to really get amongst international footy again. Well, that starts Wednesday morning New Zealand time, uh, everybody. And uh, your first opponents, uh, Cody Everson, are the United States. Tell us about your group and your expectations heading into this tournament. Yeah, so coming into this tournament, uh, we were a we were a young team and. You know, we thought we talked about it, and we went in, and we were like, "Look, this is this is a a great opportunity to to really go here and learn." Um, and that was kind of the thing. It's like, let's not be disappointed um, if things don't go right, but we're going to go into every game and do our best, and really, um, you know, take it to these teams. So, yeah, the the plan is to go in there and compete and um, try and win. So. That's that's what we're going to do, and we've got a really really tough pull. Um, realistic wise, you know, we're ranked eighth in the world, and um, there's seven other teams in this competition that are ranked above us. So, yeah, we're we're going in to hopefully um, put a bit of respect on our name, um, put these guys to the test, and and yeah, let's let's see what happens. I, I feel really good. I think the team's really confident too, um, which is super positive. So. Yeah, just just really excited. It's been two years since we've played an international team, so just can't wait to get out there and um, you know find out what it's all about in Paralympics footy. Uh, Cody, look, um, you're already a winner. Uh, I can tell you that by getting from where you've been to where you are now and realising a dream is absolutely fantastic. Um, and your team are, are, are winners as far as we're concerned as well. Go well, mate. Uh, I hope you you get everything out of this experience that. Uh, you were wanting to. I can hear the excitement in your voice. 
So uh, really, I, I hope it goes absolutely yeah. brilliantly for you and, and you get uh, something to show for it at the end of it. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Perfect. Can I, um, can I just also just want to thank, you know, the support behind us that um, New Zealand's, that New Zealand's doing. It's quite cool being here and just seeing, you know, people get behind us, messages and support. So thank you so much. And, and we're going we're gonna to do our best to make you all proud. You're a terrific young man, mate. You're a terrific young man, Cody. So we, we wish you all the best. Uh, and uh, sincerely, I, I hope it goes well. That was uh, Cody Everson. Uh, from the New Zealand wheelchair rugby team, uh, the Wheel Blacks, uh, as they call them at the moment. Uh, inspiring, really, really is inspiring. Just touched on a story, but uh, really is inspiring. Okay, uh, folks, uh, right, it's time uh, for you to get involved in the show. You've been texting, it's been great this morning, but it's time to get on the blower. 0800 150811, it's stump smithy time. Time for you to win some vouchers in lockdown and turn your 50 bucks worth of vouchers into a lot more with a bit of luck, but of course, you have to beat me first. Match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Here we go, Stumped by Smithy, Monday lockdown edition. Uh, we've got Chris from Hamilton on line one. G'day, Chris. Nope, you're cutting out. You're holding on there in Hamilton, Chris, you good? Yeah, I'm still here. Can you yeah. hear me? Yeah, mate. Can hear you now, loud and clear. How's lockdown going for you, day six? Well, oh, same old, same old. You know, trying to work from home, kids at home. With oh. the sun shining, so that's a start. That is a nightmare, isn't it? Um, trying to work at home with kids. Yeah, it's good fun. To be fair, the better half does most of the hard, <laughs> the hard the heavy lifting. Of course she does, and you just listen to SENZ, so we love that. Uh, you know how this works. <laughs> Pretty you get, much. Yeah, you get three sports, you choose one, then you get three questions right, you win 50 bucks from the TAB, but get one wrong, and Smithy can stump you, and you leave with nothing. Yep. All right, good as gold. Your sporting categories are soccer, football, rugby union, and boxing. Oh, try boxing, eh? Boxing. Why not? Let's go. Boxing. Question number one. New Zealand's fight of the century was between David Tua and Shane Cameron in 2009. What round did the Tua man knock out the Mountain Warrior? Uh, one of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. It was not round one. Smithy, chance for a stumping. Um, okay, here we go. Oh, I did see this fight, it was devastating. Um, and uh, I felt for, for Shane Cameron on the night, but it didn't go long. Um, I'll say round three. He's got him, he's out caught. No, Smithy, missed the stumping. It was round two, 20 seconds into round two. Oh, if you guys remember, um, Shane Cameron was getting beaten to a pulp at the end of round one, and Tua almost finished it but not quite, so then Shane Cameron had to sit there for a minute in between rounds just waiting to walk out and get knocked out. Could you imagine doing that, Chris? Sitting there, looking across for a minute, seeing David Tour and go, oh God, I've got to get up off my stool and actually fight this guy again in the next round. You're cutting out a little bit there, but... I understand the fear. I think it was in Hamilton as well, that fight. Um, yeah, so 20 seconds into round two. That's when he got knocked out. All right, second question. 
What are the four recognized major boxing bodies? IBO, IBS, WBO, WBA. Feet everywhere, body nowhere, and uh, the rest of him on the way back to the pavilion. That is not correct, unfortunately. Smithy, right. the, the four the major boxing, boxing bodies. Yeah. World Boxing Organization, I think, is one. The International Boxing Federation is another one. Um, I'll go the World Boxing Association as well. So WBO, WBA, IBF, and IBO. One of the worst things I have ever oh, seen no. done on a cricket field. No, no, and you could name them too, Smithy, by name. That was very good. Um, IBO, you both said. IBO is not uh, one of the four recognised major boxing bodies. It's the WBC, the World Boxing Council. Oh. Man, you, okay. you knew a lot of those, Smithy, though, so still impressed. All right, you've got one more chance, Chris. Last question to win that 50 bucks from the TAB. Manny Pacquiao lost yesterday. Quite a shock. Uh, but he was a 12-time world champion. Across how many weight divisions was Manny Pacquiao a 12-time world champion? I can't hear you. Three? Three. Three weight divisions? Three. Yeah, we'll go three. One of the worst things I have ever ah. seen done on a cricket field. No, three is not correct. Smithy, how many weight divisions did Manny Pacquiao win world championships? I think he won over two. That's all, just two. Just, just two? two divisions. Because, yeah, well, there was not a lot of, um, not a lot of give and take in um, Manny Pacquiao's shape. He was always fairly diminutive, solid sort of a bloke. I wouldn't think he'd fluctuate too much, so I'll go two. Feet everywhere, body nowhere, oh. and uh, the rest of him on the way back to the pavilion. Eight. Eight different weight what? divisions he won world championships in. So I don't know how much these weight divisions fluctuate. Eight. It must be every two kilos must be a new weight division. But it's apparently Manny Pacquiao won world titles across eight different weight divisions. So that means, Chris, you didn't get many right, but neither did Smithy. So that means you win 50 bucks from the TAB. Hang on the phone. Look, I'll that is yeah, a terrible phone mate. line, but uh, a great TAB bank account and a great caller. Great to have him yeah, on. Um, uh, Smithy? Long as the line's, uh, <laughs> long as the line's good enough for him to get his details through to us, that's the main thing from his point of view. So, uh, Yeah, I was a bit disappointed there. I, I, I think I had a couple of relatively good chances. I'm not huge on the boxing. I did see Manny fight yesterday, uh, and I, I couldn't understand why they were saying he was the favourite from, right from the outset. The other guy just kept jabbing, 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 and... Uh, to be honest, I don't think it was in any danger of, of uh, winning that fight, Manny Pacquiao. So for it to be regarded as quite a big shock, I don't know. But now he can uh, get on with his uh, new career and he wants to uh, be president, doesn't he? Yeah, he's I think be so. president when he goes home? Yeah. It, Good luck. I hope he's more successful than uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> was. That didn't last long. No, no, the governor. Um, but yeah, I'm like, why do guys like this, why do greats, like you've achieved everything in the sport, 12 world titles against eight weight divisions and then you come out and fight again Smithy and just tarnish your reputation that you spent your whole life building up I don't quite understand why Manny Pacquiao's still fighting Money John Money we'll just leave it at that eh? it's 11.41 here on SENZ on SENZ
14 minutes before midday, I remember about 10 days ago, the Yankees played the White Sox in the Field of Dreams. Uh, and of course, this was a, a great promotion by the Major League Baseball uh, and all sorts of other people to get involved. Uh, Kevin Costner, who was uh, the star of that movie, of course, came out through the fields of corn and then all the Yankees and White Sox players followed him out. It was absolutely brilliantly done. Uh, we'll have done it again, uh, the M MLB. They've taken a game to the historic... Bowman Field, uh, and that's the Angels playing the Indians today, the, uh, the Cleveland Indians against the, the Los Angeles Angels. Can we say the Cleveland Indians? Yes, yes, we can. Anyway, uh, we're in the middle of the second innings, and it's 2-0 to Cleveland. The interesting thing about that, uh, and uh, these guys are so used to playing in front of vast crowds, the capacity for that is 2,366 people, yep. And it's, of course, it's sold out. 2,366 people. Talk about taking the game to the people. And, and talk about the people having a say when it's come to this issue about perhaps changing the name of the All Whites um, because it's divisive. We want a total inclusivity in this country. Uh, the All Whites name is a non-issue, says Costa. But I know a lot of people think the Tall Blacks name is a little bit embarrassing. Well, there's a few of them. Uh, are a little bit um, of that way along the line as well, Costa, but I get your sentiments. Uh, in light of the statement from the CEO of New Zealand Football regarding the All Whites, uh, where does this leave our iconic All Blacks? That's a statement from Francis. Uh, hi, Smithy and JD. The world's gone PC mad. There are worse things in New Zealand to deal with, and you're absolutely right. Cheers, uh, Anthony. Uh, and also, is this the PR people leading the woke perspective of name change and that of a country name change to Aotearoa? Is it the same people? Uh, it is certainly not the perspective of the majority of rank and file. I, for one, will withdraw my support if they go down this track. That is Kevin. Uh, also uh, from Grant in Melbourne. Uh, morning to you, Grant, over there. Uh, morning, uh, he says, Dave Rennie's been in Aussie too long. He's now perfected the Aussie art of whinging. Cheers, bro. Uh, yeah, so uh, that is, I think that'll, later this afternoon, we will come to uh, a conclusion in the rugby championship. Uh, speaking to Rob Nickel, which I, I really did enjoy doing, I, I think we're going to uh, get a, a, a pretty sensible outcome there. Uh, as he says, at the end of the day, it's a decision from uh, Sanzar and uh, New Zealand rugby in particular, uh, he's just there to represent the players' thoughts and well-being. And the big issue appears, John, not so much going overseas, it's getting home and, and finding a window to get home. Yeah, I guess like, on the panel we had two differing um, opinions here, didn't we? We had Mark Hinton saying if you're a boss of someone and you're sending them somewhere with no real idea of what they're going to do when they're going away for 15 weeks, you can't send them. Whereas James McConey was like, well, in, in COVID, you can't really be sure of anything. So you send them and you just hope for the best, don't you? So I, I can see both sides of that. But if they do, if they did go to Australia last weekend uh, on Saturday when they were supposed to, they get there and then they find out the rugby championship is cancelled, then they're stuck overseas uh, for a long time, not playing any rugby. Uh, they're in no man's land. So... I think New Zealand rugby probably made the right call. Smithy, what do you reckon? Should they have just gone anyway? I don't think they'll cancel a, the rugby championship. I think they'll find a way for that to be played. They'll find uh, a relative window for it to be played. I think there's too much at, at stake, John, to cancel something as big that involves four, the four, four of the most powerful rugby-playing nations. So I think they will find 
There are options there. It's not like they're looking for options. I think the options are there. They're finding the right one and doing the most practical thing for all concerned. So uh, that is an interesting scenario that we will hopefully find, as I say, more about this afternoon. Um, John, you're a bit of a liberal. You, you strike me as a bit of a liberal. Probably drink a little bit of wheat beer and, and alternative beer and that sort of thing. And I, I, I would be thinking that you know, you're also, you know, you, I don't know, in your day you might have been a bit of a, a bit of a villain, a bit of a lefty, you know, a bit of an opinionated sod. How do you go on the all whites? Don't sit on the fence here. No, no, I don't sit on the fence on, in this show, Smithy. It's my job to have opinions and fire people up. Um, but this one I can't defend. I mean. You know, it's about the colour of their top. And like I've mentioned earlier, just because some people overseas uh, hear all whites and they don't understand it, uh, they think it is a racially based thing for some reason. Um, They get a little bit upset about it. Football is a global game. It comes back to New Zealand football uh, for them as something to deal with. Well, I think they're dealing with it in the wrong way, uh, having to change the name of the all whites. It's actually laughable. Like, I can't seriously get fired up about it. Normally I do get fired up about sport, but this is just... Such a joke, and I don't think it will happen. So at this point in Smithy, uh, time, Smithy, I'm not that concerned. Good. I'll leave the final word to you this morning on that matter, except uh, just before midday I might get Staffy's opinion. It's 11.51 here on SENZ. It's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, we've had a busy morning, and I've really enjoyed it, uh, from Rob Nicholl to Mike Hesson to the Cole family uh, to Cody, uh, of course, in the Wheel Blacks. It was just uh, inspiring stuff, Ossie, of course. Uh, but the, the issue of the morning for us is uh, when you fire up the lines and say to people uh, they want to change, uh, looking at changing the name of the All Whites, this is New Zealand football, uh, it gets a little busier. Uh, and Mark Stafford, uh, this has been an interesting and quite an emotive subject for us, and it's always going to be changing iconic names. Outrageous, really, for me. Um, when I saw that this morning, I just immediately tweeted, and I quote, uh, Cool. Every New Zealand football team can now be called 11 soccer people. Will that keep everyone happy, Smithy? We'll just be 11 <laughs> soccer people. I, I like it. I like it because, uh, you know, they did that when the Washington Redskins, the Washington Redskins then became the Washington football team. Yep. So you're not far off the mark there, Steph, with, with that, that kind of sentiment. Um, do we just go back to every team in New Zealand, every representative team of our country is now just called New Zealand again? Uh, run that past the rugby union. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, good luck. I mean, where does it start? And for, uh, surely common sense will prevail and they'll just go, we thought about it, we talked about it, and we're staying as we are. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. Th- and make sure you say we, we, we thought about it for not very long. Yeah. Uh, Steph, what do you what do you, what do you got? What do you got coming up today? What what time's Jacinda and, and Ashley coming on the show? Do you know? Uh, four o'clock. Yeah, she she couldn't make oh, it late. today. Yeah, they got a cabinet meeting today, so she said, "Sorry, I, I can't make your show," and asked me to pass on her apologies to Beaver and Kirst for interrupting drive at the top, but uh, riveting, riveting. So won't get Jacinda today, but hopefully back to normal tomorrow. What I have got, Smithy, straight to the top, the Dame of Squash, Susan Devoy, joining us. Oh. Uh, 
about quarter past 12, which will be fantastic. Spoke to her this morning, very excited. And of course, on this All Whites news, former All White David Choke will join us and weigh in on this debate. Um, and also a bit of a review, preview of the English Premier League. Uh, Maddie Bartlett is a Kiwi fern, a former Warriors winger, um, has signed with the Dragons for the NRLW. What's that going to look like? Courtney Tyree on the league, <clears throat> someone you've had, and he was a very popular guest with you, Lee Hart on Surviving Lockdown. I'm very much looking forward to the great man's advice on Surviving Lockdown. Then we're going to Honiara in the Solomon Islands for an AFL review. Tim Stevens, who's who's a great AFL man, people in New Zealand will know him. Daryl Anderson out of the Hong Kong Jockey Club about what's going on there. Uh, and others, Smithy, and calls and texts. I'll tell you what, Steph, that is one hell of a show you've got lined up. That is compulsive listening. Uh, I look forward to that between 12 and 4 this afternoon. Uh, from our point of view, I'd like to thank all the guests that have been on this morning. Uh, adding to uh, our team here at SENZ. Trudy, brilliant, as always, Trudy. Uh, Brian, damn good, damn good, Brian. JD, you continue to try, which is great. The all-new SENZ is Kiwi for sport. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.